0: Well, I want to challenge you to consider whether the things that you think you know about the origins of the world are actually true or not. Have, have the things you've been taught, are they actually true? Have you spent any time trying to understand that? So over the next eight weeks, we are going to do a deep dive into the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we're going to be talking about things like creation, we're going to talk about the curse. We're going to talk about then God's covenant with mankind and then confusion that happened at the Tower of Babel. And that's only four topics, but we're going to take 11 weeks to really do a deep dive into those. So hopefully, we will walk away with some insights and understanding, maybe adding to uh, what we might have already thought. There's going to be resources for you on the app, on the website, on the YouTube channel. Make sure you go back to that because these are messages you're going to listen to a couple of times to get the full impact of them. There'll be notes and study guides and things like that out there uh, for you. And even the podcast this week uh, kicked us off uh, on this topic, so avail yourselves to that. So I hope that you are ready to be learners over the next few weeks. Are you ready for that? You ready for us to jump in right now today? All right, we're going to jump right in. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says this. It says, in the beginning, God. And I thought about stopping there and spending the next 11 weeks right there because We could. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right away, the first words of Scripture give us evidence. Creation proves the existence of God. Creation provides proof of the existence of God. Now, if you're in the room today or if you're listening online today and you're one of those people who's still trying to figure that out, you're not so sure that God is real or maybe you've thought God was real but things have happened in your life over the last few years or maybe a few days even and now you're starting to say, is God real? Uh, you know, you're in the right place today because I want to share with you that creation itself proves, provides proof of the existence of God. Look at Psalm chapter 90 and verse two. It says this, before, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and to the world, from beginning to end, you are God. God existed before things existed. God was there prior to creation. In the beginning, God means God was already there. Scripture takes no time or energy or effort To prove to us there is a God, it assumes that. It says, in the beginning, God. God is already there before creation begins. He is an eternal God. That means he has no beginning, he has no end. He's always existed, he always will. Before anything else was there, he was there. And he will never not be there. And he never was not there. You understand that fully now, right? See, this thing called eternal, That is something that we cannot wrap our heads around. We cannot get our minds around that. We can sit and ponder it for a while, but you're gonna get a headache and you're gonna get nauseous because you can't understand something that never was not there, right? Think about it for a minute. Yeah, I can see. You know, we can't get our heads around that whole concept of eternal, but that is the very nature of God. It's part of his nature. And then in that nature of just being eternal. He created everything in the beginning. Creation itself speaks to his existence. Look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone through the, throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Creation speaks to the fact of God's existence. We call that, in theological terms, general revelation. Okay, Without even starting with Scripture, we can look at the world around us and know there is a God. That's what those verses are telling us. It says creation speaks to that as a fact. Think about it for just a moment. How many people are, are, if, if you are going on holiday, you want to go to the mountains? Nobody. Who wants to go to the beach? All right, rivers. You know what? Why do we go to those kinds of places? Because we like nature. Because there's something about nature. There's something about a walk in nature. There's something about seeing the beauty of nature that refreshes the soul. Anybody understand that? Anybody agree with it? Anybody want to go for a walk in nature right now instead of being here? Me, right. That that would be great because there's something about just seeing God's magnificent creation that helps you commune with him. That says, hey, there's something bigger than I am here. There's something greater than I am here. In fact, not only the beauty of it, but look at the, the ecosystem, just how everything survives how everything works together, that speaks to there being a creator. You look at the intricacy and the complexity of nature, it screams out for the existence of God. And what's even more, what's amazing is that God, who's the creator, and the creation speaks to his existence, he actually wants relationship with the likes of you and me. That, my friends, Boggles my mind. A.W. Tozer spoke to this, that, that relationship that he has with us. God has a voluntary relation to everything he has made, but he has no necessary relation to anything outside of himself. God does not need me. That's sad. Because <laughs> I, I I like to feel needed. I, I have a huge desire. In fact, we, we all do. We all want to be needed, we all want to be wanted. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need creation. He doesn't need anything to exist. He voluntarily engages with his creation. That's a choice that he makes. And in light of that, thinking about the voluntary nature of God, his interaction with creation, look at this verse. The eternal, that's that word we can't understand, God is your refuge. And his everlasting arms are under you. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. The creator of the universe is your refuge. He holds you in his everlasting arms voluntarily. He has no obligation to do that. How amazing is that? I don't know about you, but that that should be giving you at least some warm fuzzies right now that the creator of the universe, all-powerful, almighty God, voluntarily engages with you at that level. The language in verse 1 that says, in the beginning, God created, tells us two things. It tells us who God is. God, the word is Elohim. It means mighty and powerful. And created means to bring into existence. So he is the almighty, powerful creator. And in creation, we can see his power demonstrated. God demonstrates his power through creation. Now, there's a, more than enough evidence through the general revelation for us to understand that there is a God. So if you came in the room today thinking there is no God, go look at nature. Go for a walk and just argue with the sky. Go out and look up into the sky at night and argue with that, that there is no God. Just We'll, we'll stop there for the atheist right now. Now, the evidence of God is there, but it also demonstrates his power. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Do you know people that say there is no God? Anybody? Yeah, you know those people? You know what God says? It's obvious. I've made it obvious to them. That's general revelation. It says, for since the world was created... People have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Paul is writing to believers at Rome here in the first century. And he he said that denying God is ignoring the obvious. It's suppressing the truth of what is obvious. And it actually says it makes God angry because you got no excuse for not believing there's a God when you look at nature. So we can see just by looking around God's power and the proof of his existence, general revelation, but God doesn't stop there. He gives us what we call special revelation through his word. I don't know about you, but a lot of people, that if you're not a Bible person, most people know the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, the first chapter or two, and they are interested in the end of the Bible, Revelation. But I wanna ask you, when's the last time you actually read Genesis chapter one, the creation account? Yeah, might have been a while. We're gonna do that for you right now. Put your eyes to the screen and listen in.
1: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came marking the first day. Then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land, and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars, and God saw that it was good. An evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. And God saw... That it was good.
0: Probably haven't read it exactly like that before, have you? So it's very impacting, and thanks again to our tech team who uh, put that together for me uh, this week. Really appreciate their efforts. But you know, what you just heard read and followed along with has become very controversial over the last couple of hundred years. Genesis chapter 1 is a massive topic of debate. There are those who, first of all, don't accept the proof of the existence of God that we just talked about. And they would completely discount the account of creation because for them, God doesn't exist. Those are uh, atheists. And to explain uh, the existence of everything... They lean into what is known as the theory of evolution, and the theory of evolution is actually many different theories because there's too many unanswered questions that they can't all uh, agree uh, on, but essentially it believes that everything we see is the result of some type of cosmic randomness where elements came together and morphed over millions and billions of years and came up with what we have today. There are many questions that can't be answered uh, in those theories and the greatest of which is where did those first elements come from or that first element come from? So that's a big challenge uh, for those that uh, w- would hold to that theory. Now, we're not going to spend time debating the atheist views uh, during this series. I want to go back, or I would go back to the proof of his existence uh, to have discussions with people that don't believe God exists. But with the work that has been done by scientists and geologists to try and sort out the origins of life, it has caused us as Christians and theologians to scratch our heads a little bit and say, hmm, with the science saying this and geologists saying this because you look at the earth and it looks old and things like that, what, what do we really believe in? How can we marry the two together? That's where uh, a lot of people have gotten to uh, in Christianity today. People who truly love God and follow Jesus ask the question, how do we marry these things together? So the question that we really have to answer is, how did God create? What was the process of creation? That is what attracts our attention when we read Genesis chapter 1. Now, I said we're not going to talk about evolution as far as atheists are concerned, but we're going to talk about I'm gonna give you four different views that Christians believe, good, God-loving Christians, okay? So don't get angry at any of these people with any of these views. I'm not gonna name people or anything. But there are four views that, uh, primary views, there's actually dozens of views, but there's four primary views that they all sit under. So I'm gonna expose you to those this morning, uh, and I'm gonna spend a lot of time on the one that, that I actually uh, ascribe to, and then we'll wrap that all up. You ready? Ready? Yeah, sure. Whether you're not, here we come. (laughs) Firstly, there are old earth creationists, people that believe in old earth creation. And these people would suggest that creation was miraculous, but it happened over a very long period of time, millions or billions of years, and it did not require evolution, but some things may have evolved along the way. So, over millions and billions of years, they're suggesting that God occasionally stepped in and said, Oh, I'm going to create something else new. I'm going to create an emu on, and I said that wrong again, didn't I? Yeah. (laughs) On day 4,872, right? Something like that. That's what old old earth creationism uh, kind of uh, believes. One of the, uh, oh, and here's a key element. They do believe that humans didn't evolve, that our ancestors aren't apes, that we actually were created as human beings, okay? So, So there's value in that. One of the biggest problems with old earth creationism is the fact that there were millions of years of death and decay and even extinction of animals before man was created. The reason that's a problem is because according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So if sin didn't enter the world until Adam was created, Adam and Eve, and then they sinned in the Garden of Eden, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. If sin didn't enter the world to theirs, sin brought death and decay, then how do we account for extinction of animals and death and decay before Adam? So that's one of the challenges that uh, any of the views with old earth creation uh, would have. Another view that is, is common is called evolutionary creation. And this uh, the old name for this would have been theistic evolution, which ascribes to the fact that God created the universe, but he did it by evolution that god was in control and he just said bang and everything started but it took millions and billions of years okay so it's fairly simple it's evolution with god starting it then there's the theory of intelligent design intelligent design is the idea that there are certain features of living systems that are best explained by saying okay there had to be a designer this didn't just randomly Happen rather, uh, from some undirected process. Now that differs from a pure creationist standpoint in that they start with biology rather than the Bible. So uh, traditional creationists are going to start with what the Word of God says and interpret that and try to understand uh, the the rest of it based on the Bible. Intelligent design theory starts with what we see as the end result and says, oh, okay, looks like something smart did that, okay? Does that all make sense? You're with me so far? Okay. Then finally, young earth creation, young earth creationism. This is the view that God created the earth in six literal 24-hour days. This is the traditional view that was held by the church until the early 19th, Century, and just so there's no ambiguity about this i 'm putting my cards on the table that 's the view that I ascribe to. I believe in six literal twenty four hour uh days. now, having said that, a lot of you just got excited. Our pastor's a six day creationist okay i 'm going to disappoint you later because, as you know from other sermons, I like to spread the disappointment around but um, <laughs> but yeah, so So I hold that view. You do not have to agree with that. You do not have to be a six-day creationist to follow Jesus. I have lots of friends who follow Jesus and maybe love God more than I do, and they aren't necessarily traditional six-day creationists. So, So understand that. So that's where I'm starting, though, and that's the one I'm going to explain to you uh, from Scripture today, uh, how we can defend that view. But again, if you don't like that, hang on to the end because i got more stuff for you uh, at the end. So we start with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, marking the first day. So we have six days that are described very much like this. And we're going to look at each of them. We're not going to read all the scriptures again and everything. I just wanted to set the stage for each day of creation is very similar. Now, what was created over those six days, it starts with day one was light and dark, day and night. And then day two, water on the earth and above the earth with space in between. So we have air. And then day three, land, sea, plants, uh, uh, were, were developed trees, uh, were put there, and then they were growing, reproducing after their kind, seeds, and things like that. And then day four was the sun, moon, and stars. That's going to be very significant in a few minutes. And then day five is the fish and birds. And day six, animals and humans. And you may have noticed we didn't get to the humans part uh, in the Bible reading. We're going to cover the humans next week because that's going to take a whole sermon in itself. But those were the, the six days. Now, God said, and that's what happened. Verse 6 says, then God said. Verse 7, and that is what happened. You also see this repeated over and over again in verse 9, 11, 14, and 24. It's a recurring statement. God said, and that is what happened. Ten times in Genesis chapter 1, it says, God said. God spoke everything into existence. Look at Psalm 33. It speaks to this. It says, the Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. Let the whole earth fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Very strong language there that indicates God speaking and it happening. Think about that power. How many of you have kids at home? And how many of you have ever spoken a word to your kids to go clean your room? Did it happen? <laughs> yeah. You can't even, with your word, get something small like that done. And God spoke and created everything that we, we see. Interestingly, how did He create, or what did He start with? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 uh, says this By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. He started with nothing. There's a Latin word called ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Look at then Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. It says, Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. So friends, The premise here is that God spoke everything into existence starting with nothing. I mentioned to you that the evolutionary theories, all of them, even the ones that Christians ascribe to, are going to struggle with this because they don't have that first element that they believe things began with. Those that are Christian views could say God created that element, by the way, so they do have some like to stand on there. But another recurring phrase other than the, and God said, and, it, and, and so it was, is this one. An evening passed and morning came, marking the first, second, third, fourth, fifth day, right? We just saw that uh, as the reading went on. Now, I believe that this provides sufficient proof for literal 24-hour days. Now, some are gonna argue that 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, says the day is as a thousand years to the Lord. And it does, when it's talking about his patience and long-suffering towards us, and not willing that any should perish or die, but that all should come to repentance. That's what that verse is actually talking about. And it does say a thousand years is as a day. Here we have evening pass and morning comes. To me, that means that's a day. Evening and morning seems to indicate 24 hours. The Hebrew word for day here is yom, yom, okay? And it literally means the time from one sunset to another sunset. There are occasional uses of it in other places where it could mean a season. But the word yom, every time in Scripture, where it's paired with a number, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth day, always means a literal 24-hour day. So that's the Old Testament. In verse 14, it says this. It says, then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. So even as God's creating, he creates an instrument to mark days. I would also suggest to you that the language in the account suggests that these days were sequential and not overlapping because seven times we hear the words, God saw, and six times, and it happened, and six times uh, also, and it was good. And the repetition of that, it's it's very emphatic in the way it says that God finished the work of one day before he started the next day, and he said, that day was good, that work was good. Now I'm going to start and create the next day. Furthermore, gaps between the days, and by the way, if you're zoning out, if you're thinking it's quarter time, getting ready to leave, hang with me because we're going to bring this in for a landing, and you're going to love the the surprise ending. But (laughs) gaps between the days, in in, in my estimation, don't work because if you look at the the, uh, chronology of creation, on day three, God created the plants, the plants and the trees. Day four, he created the sun and animals. Or day five, he created animals on day five and six. Plants could not survive a gap between day three and day four. Because they couldn't live without the sun. They couldn't live without the animals and the pollination of insects and all of that. So to say that there would be billions of years or millions of years between the days or a day could have lasted that long before the next day, it doesn't make sense because the plants would not have been sustained. And then why would God create creatures who are going to live and die and become extinct? Remember, that's a problem. Before creating man who he's giving rule over them. And then they became extinct again before sin entered the world because man uh, brought sin into the world. One last verse or one last passage uh, to, that, that I believe really sums this up. It's Exodus chapter 20 it says, remember to observe the Sabbath day. This is the giving of the law and God's wanting them to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week. For your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you or your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. We might talk about Sabbathing a little bit next week. But look at this. For in six days the Lord made heavens, the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So in instructing his people, you and I included, that we need to take a break now and then. We need to have a day of rest each week. He used creation as the example. He said, that's the way I worked. That's the way I want you to work. I want you to work six days and then take a day off. It's very clear, very emphatic, and I believe that kind of ends the argument. So from a straightforward uh, reading and understanding of Scripture, I believe six literal days makes absolute sense. But what do we do with some of the arguments? What do we do with the fact, it's a fact, that the earth appears old. Six-day people would say it's around six to eight thousand years old, the earth is. But science says the earth is millions or billions of years old. Why? Two reasons, I believe. One is that when God created, he created the earth with the appearance of age already. All right, It doesn't say that he created, he says he created out of nothing, but everything wasn't infantile when when it started. It wasn't just seeds for the plants. It wasn't uh, just uh, 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 fetuses for people or or, uh, uh, animals and things like that. It was full-grown people, and the earth was full-grown. There's also, and we'll talk about this in, I think, week six, five or six, there was a global flood, which I actually believe really did happen. And that global flood caused everything to look different than what we see today. Those that believe in evolution, atheists especially, refuse to consider the creation account. They say... That can't be considered when you're trying to do scientific study. We can't take that into account at all. In fact, there's a guy called James Hutton who's considered the father of modern geology, and he said this. For the sake of revelation as well as of science, of truth in every form, the physical part of geological inquiry ought to be conducted as if the Scriptures were not in existence. Okay? So they have to start with saying we're not even going to consider the possibility that there was a six-day creation. They have to start there and won't allow that even into the discussion. If we look at some of the uh, evidence around the world for an old earth, the fossils and the dating of all of that, many fossils, plants, and animals have been preserved in exquisite detail. And some, like worms and jellyfish, there are some of those that, that aren't even hard. They're still pliable. They're still soft. That means that they would have had to have been fossilized very quickly, immediately. A global flood explains that. There are trees that are upright in sediment of many layers of, of the, the, um, you know, the, the sedimentary layers that, that mark time, the geologists look at. There are trees that are in the middle of those, Upright. For that to happen, that would have had to happen quickly, immediately, and that would have skewed the whole uh, fossilization or, or uh, process as they would look at it. I found this one very, very fascinating, is that not only can they still find soft tissue in some of the, the, uh, the dinosaur fossils, but they actually have found blood in the abdomen, in the stomach of mosquitoes that's still there. In a fossilized mosquito. All that tells us that would have happened, had to have happened quickly. So, those are some of the the arguments for why the earth appears old. Other people would say that the early chapters of Genesis are allegorical or only poetry. That view, I would suggest to you, is inconsistent with the rest of the book. I believe Genesis is a historical book, and from chapter 12 on, where we have the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on and on. Uh, Those are real people, and there's evidence that those are real people. Most people won't even argue about that. And Genesis is telling that story. Those people, Abraham, was a part of the genealogies that are in the early chapters of Genesis. If Genesis 1 through 11 is allegory, why did the writer change his style of writing in Genesis chapter 12? Why did it become historical? That doesn't actually add up. It's inconsistent with the rest of the book. So we can not answer every question from a six-day creation view, just as no other view can answer every question. Any view that you choose to adopt is going to have some problems. If you're interested in this and you want to go much deeper than I just did now, uh, there's a book I would recommend to you. It's part of a series called Counterpoints, where they take controversial issues and bring in experts, and they let each of them write their view, and then the others get to critique that view, and they kind of have a debate and argument in the book. And there's one uh, called Four Views on Creation, Evolution, and Intelligent Design. You can grab that on Amazon or Kurong or wherever you get your books. I want to suggest to you with this whole topic. The reason, some of the reasons given for trying to marry the two is that there are people who are science people who are so far that direction that if they can't reconcile the Bible, then they're going to assume science is true and the Bible is false. And we make that effort then to marry the two so that we can appease them, so that, we, so that they don't walk away, so that they hang on and listen a little bit longer. And I, I get that. And that's why I, I told you, you, you don't have to believe in the six-day thing think about when we take the miraculous of creation and we take that away so that people will accept the Bible as true, what happens when they hit the verses where it says, Behold, a virgin will conceive and will bear a son. And what are they going to do when they see the verses that say Jesus died on a cross and took the sins of the whole world on him so everybody could be forgiven? And what are they going to do when we get to the verses that say Jesus bodily raised from the dead? Now, friends, those things to me are way more miraculous than believing creation. So if we're going to soften our view about creation so that people, and again, you can have any of those views. But if we're doing that so that we can draw people in to make the Bible palatable for them, you're going to have a problem later on is all I'm saying, okay? So we just need to be careful how we have those conversations and navigate that, uh, that truth. So, now agreeing on the process is not a salvation issue. You do not have to own a six-day creation view to be a follower of Jesus, but what is important is that you accept, however, is that he did it. In the beginning, God. However he did it, That's where we need to start, in the beginning, God. More important to the process is why, why? So I want us to look briefly at the purpose in creation. And the purpose in creation is God's glory. Psalm 19, verse one, we already looked at, the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 43, verse seven says this, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory, for my glory. It was I who created them. Isaiah 6 verse 3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We're going to talk about human beings being made in the image of God next week. But why did he do that? To reveal himself for his glory. So the question I want us to really wrestle with is, I just gave you a lot of information. Go back, listen to it again on YouTube, and then you can critique it and tell me where I was wrong. That's all great. But Why did God create a world that he knew would become like this world? You ever ask that? You ever had somebody ask you, why why does God let bad stuff happen? Why does he let sin in the world? Why does he let pain and suffering and all that? Why did God create a world that would become like this world? Why did he allow sin? Why did he create humans who he knew would sin? Can I suggest to you he did it for his glory? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. God created a world that he knew would become like this world. For his glory. He knew it would become a crazy messed up world filled with broken people like you and like me and like you guys online. His purpose is his glory and he's glorified by saving us, by sending Jesus Christ into this world to pay for our sins and make us holy and without fault before him. For me, this is a mystery that is greater than the evolutionary process or the creation process, however you want to land on that, is why God would do that. One verse that we didn't talk about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Something we don't know is why God chose to start with something that was formless and empty. He chose to start his creative work with a massive chaos that was dark and formless. But into that, he spoke. And he brought order out of chaos and beauty and fullness out of emptiness. And you know what? What? He can do that in your life today. He can do that in your life. He can do that in your life. The same God who created the universe can do that in the lives of all who will let him. Today, maybe you've never taken that step of acknowledge him as your creator The one who made you, loves you, wants a relationship with you. The one who, even though you and I are born sinners, sent his son Jesus to die for those sins. To bring us into relationship with him. That was his plan, his design. Because that's what he wanted. And it brought him great pleasure. Today, if that's you, you can bring God glory by saying yes to Jesus. By acknowledging that you're a sinner. Most of us don't have too much trouble with that. And saying yeah, I can see there's, a, there's something bigger than me. That's God. And if he loves me and he sent Jesus to die for me, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. That will bring him great glory. And it's as simple as that. You can just say a short little prayer, five-word prayer. It says, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you today, I'd invite you. Even now, while you're sitting there, say that. Right where you're sitting, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And you bring God glory the God who created. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and your life has lots of hurt and mess and chaos. I want to encourage you that the God, the self-existent God who didn't need us, who has a voluntary relationship with creation, who is powerful enough to create the world and the universe, can make order out of chaos, can bring healing and hope into your life. He did everything else just by speaking. He's powerful enough to take care of the things going on inside of you right now and inside of me right now. I want to encourage you this week, consider the Creator. Go take a walk. Just go take a walk and look around and see what you come up with. See where you land on the God who is the Creator that wants a relationship with you. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, while it can be controversial, it's uh, it's because of our finiteness. Lord, we don't pretend to have all the answers, but we look at the answers you do give us and we praise you and we glorify you because you are the creator, however you chose to do it. And we thank you for that. And now, Lord, I just pray that as we go into uh, this final song, you'll be stirring our hearts and helping us to come to grips with who you are, and how we respond to that. And Lord, help us to be obedient in that space. In Jesus' name, amen.